Thank you, Danny. That's a great song. Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn back to the book of Proverbs chapter 10. That's where we were last week. Jeff Bush was here and our missionary we support. We, he did a great job. I always enjoy Jeff coming through town. And I told him that whenever he's in town, he's always got a place to preach here. And we always give him a good love offering and take care of him and his family. And as long as that, he could come by. Also, I forgot to tell you, make sure on your way out today that you take all that bread and all the stuff that's out there, all that you want. That's for you to take home, and uh, so feel free to do that. And, um, and today I want to continue to move down through Proverbs chapter 10, and I want to continue to, um, as the Bible says, and we talked about the last time we were together, to search the Scriptures. We've talked about how important it is to squeeze everything we can out of the chapters by being what I call exact with the Scriptures. And, and I, can't, I can't emphasize enough how important, when it comes to the Bible, exactness is. Reminds me of a story I heard the other day. A 90-year-old man went in to see his doctor because he was having trouble, you know, he didn't have any energy, and he was just, just lethargic, and went in and talked to his doctor, and his doctor gave him some advice and gave him some things to do, and about two weeks later, the doctor was walking through the park uh, on his way to go to lunch, and he saw the 90-year-old guy with this incredibly hot woman, blonde woman, on his arm. I mean, just a drop-dead, knockout, gorgeous girl. And um, he goes up to the guy, and he says, man, he says, you're looking really good. He says, I, are you feeling good? And he says, oh, he says, you know what, Doc? That advice you gave me was so good. He says, I followed it to the letter. And he says, I'm just feeling really great. And the doctor kind of looked puzzled, and he says, well, what advice was that? And he says, you told me to get a hot mama and to be cheerful. The doctor said, no, that's not what I said. I said, you got a heart murmur, and you need to be careful. <laughs> you need to be exact. It's important to be exact, especially when it comes to the Bible. And last week, or last time we were together... We talked about the eight things. Oh, you guys will be using that all day tomorrow. I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> Last time we talked about the eight things a Christian can be sure of out of Proverbs. I, I can't speak for you, but uh, and I've been through Proverbs probably 30, 40 times. And uh, this time going through it, doing it the way I'm doing it, it's just been a, it's like I never <coughs> didn't know anything about it before. I've just really, really enjoyed it. The Lord is, as He's giving you things, He's showing me things, and, and it's just, it's like the eight things a Christian can be sure of. I really never saw that till I put this together a couple of weeks ago and we went through it. And, um, you know, the eight things in a Christian's life that we can be sure of that really form the absolutes of our life with Christ that, uh, that the world can never have. And today I want to look at verses, chapter, uh, at chapter 10, verses 11, 12, and 13. I want to talk about how these next great principles fit into our lives. He says in, in Proverbs 10, verse 11, The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you today for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you. Thank you for the folks that have come out today. We pray for the folks that are traveling back and our team in Wichita as they come back later today and 
especially for all the folks that are down sick and ill. We just pray, Lord, that you'll take care of them. They're our people. We love them very much, and we just pray your hand upon them. And we just thank you now for the time that we've set aside, that you'll take it and you'll encourage our hearts, that you'll give us what we need. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now today I want to talk about, and I want to explain out of these three verses, six basic principles. The book of Proverbs is basically a book that is broken down into principles. All we have to do is be able to identify the principles and talk about them. Well, that's why I've been coming through two or three verses at a time. I don't want to lose anything. I I personally don't care how long we're in the book of Proverbs. Um, If you know the if you know the uh, sequence of books in the Bible from Second Chronicles to Ezra to Nehemiah to uh, right up to Psalms uh, and how they correspond with uh, the history and bringing them up through Proverbs matches to eternity. So we're going to be in here a while. <laughs> so you know that. And I showed you how that it's all built around uh, each verse now is built around a negative and a positive, separated by a colon. And... Um, the, it shows us the outcome, either the negative or the positive, of which way we go in life. And, you know, and this passage starts out with what comes out of a man's mouth. And it talks about what comes out of a man's mouth in only two aspects. The mouth of a righteous man, that will be our wise man that we've come across in the book of Proverbs. And then the mouth of a wicked man, and that'll be the foolish man that we found in the book of Proverbs. I don't know, as you go through the Bible, or at least as we do to go through the Bible, other things emerge out of the Bible that maybe are secondary, just as important as the main thing, but they begin to manifest themselves. One of the things you begin to see is something I talk about all the time is, you ever notice how the Bible totally uncomplicates things? The Bible's whole goal in life is to uncomplicate everything in your world compared to the world that always wants to try to complicate things. The book of Proverbs, if it's done anything (coughs) for us and taught us anything at all, it has taught us that in reality, there's only two choices in life. There's only two paths that you can walk on. Now, I realize the world and and many times even uh, the Christian world and even time uh, religion you know, many times they will try to get man to buy into the idea that there are many different paths to God and life itself. And, uh, you know, Proverbs 19.21 says that there are many devices in a man's heart. And those devices have all been used down through history to get man to think that there's many roads of life that you can go on. And I understand, you know, you can be this, you can be this, you can be this, you can be this, you could choose a hundred different occupations. But in the final analysis, when it comes down to God and the Bible, there's only two paths that you can walk on. And that's how the Bible simplifies it. And, you know, with that false idea and that false teaching, then what man does, he finds a place to hide. He finds a place to pretend that his life is okay with God when, in fact, it's really not. It's making God's way such a broad way that you can do or be anything and still be accepted by God. But the Bible says that's not true. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, that straight is the gate and narrow is the way. There's not a lot of latitude when it comes to life and which way you go. 
For man, it's developing things that look good, that look Christian, that look spiritual. But in truth, Bible truth, to be exact, they have absolutely nothing to do with being biblical and scriptural or from the Bible. And I've learned over the years that those two words are really key words. Because in life, whether it's the Christian world or churches or whatever, religion, you're going to find that a lot of times people do things that are Christian, people do things that are religious, people do things that are spiritual. But that's not really what you're looking for. To be exact, what you're looking for, what I'm looking for are things, I don't care about religious, I don't care about spiritual, I don't care about Christian. What I'm looking for is what is biblical and what is scriptural. Bring it back to the Bible, because that's where the key is, and that's where it has to be in everything that we do. And that's where we're at with it, and that's how you have to be able to do it. Uh, those two words are absolutely key in, in, in understanding and figuring things out in life, what's biblical and what is scriptural versus what is Christian and what is spiritual. And what it means is that the Christian world has come up with its own interpretation of things. Boy, you see it around the Christian world now today in a, in a great way. Things that were not been tolerated 30, 40 years ago are now the status quo in Christianity. And it shows me, or anybody who's observing anything, that the Christian world has developed its own interpretation of things in the Bible. And then there's the Bible that has its basic, fundamental, exact interpretation of things. Your job and my job is to make sure that uh, yours is the one uh, in the Bible. For as I've said earlier, <coughs> there's only two ways in life. It comes down to God's ways or the devil's way. There's not three or four. There's not a multitude of things that you can look at out there. I mean, nothing could be more simpler. The Bible says in the final analysis that it's light or it's darkness. It's God or the devil. It's a wise man in Proverbs or a foolish man, not half wise, not half foolish. It's God's Bible or the devil's Bible. It's, it's heaven or hell. Why, even in the world, I mean, you see it all day long on TV. There's normal Rob Lowe who's got direct TV, and then there's Harry Rob Lowe who has cable. Only two ways to go. <laughs> Only two ways to go. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go therein, or thereat. And that is so true. Human nature, when it comes to God, we like to create and fabricate some kind of middle ground with God. We all do it. We do it in our minds. We do it in everything that we do. Most of God's people would have an absolute heart attack if they really saw how God looks at us and his expectations of what he considers as a really a relationship with him. And with God, I know this is not popular today, and certainly most people don't believe it, but with God, it's either all or nothing. Bible says, he that not is with me is against me in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. And as much as you want to fudge your way around that, the verse still stands and means what it says. It's light or darkness with God. We like to create a twilight zone. We like to have it where it's not real dark and it's not real light, that we're just kind of in the twilight zone of life someplace. And it doesn't work that way. Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 5, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He says in 1 John 1, 7, that if you walk in the light as He is in the light, you have fellowship one with another. The fellowship has to be in the light, not in the twilight, certainly not in the darkness. 
And in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, you have only two kinds of men and only two things come out of their mouth. No matter what you hear or no matter what other things they say, fundamentally, this is what you have. A righteous man that speaks truth and does right, a wicked man who speaks falsely and does wrong. Now let's look at our righteous man for a moment. The Bible says the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. Now, here's the basic, simple, practical principle at work in this, and I want you to see this. It's what's on the inside of us, in our spirit, also our soul, though that's sealed under the day of redemption, but it's what's on the inside of man. A couple of weeks ago, I showed you the tabernacle and showed you how that tabernacle has three compartments, just as your body has a body, soul, and spirit. And I showed you the seven furnishings in the tabernacle line up to what the Bible says uh, in, the, in the New Testament in Timothy where he talks about that the man of God is to be thoroughly furnished. They are the furnishings that we should have in our life that really make up the right attitude of heart with God. So it's simple. When you're filled with the right things, biblical things, then the right things will come out of your mouth. It's just as simple as that. Now, <clears throat> this is really important to see. Because when you limit yourself with the Bible on the inside, you don't take in all of the things that God has for you. You don't get, uh, you, you, you don't get everything that God uh, wants you to do and everything that he has for you. Then you're going to have some problems. The Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 38, For out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. When it's on the inside. James 1.21 says, The Son speaks the words of life, and they, the words, will give you life. But you see, you first have to receive them, as the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. If you want to see where a person's at, it's real simple. The Bible makes things so basic. Honestly, this is why most people don't want the Bible in their life. It, it takes the clutter out of our world. It, it gives us nothing to hide behind. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that all things are naked and open unto him of whom we have to do. And the Bible says it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. And, and we don't like that. And that's why, honestly, the first thing we do when we get out of fellowship with God is we get out of the Bible. The first thing you're going to do when you are right with God or you go to a church that preaches the Bible and you want to live in that twilight zone, you're going to find another church. Because it isn't the church or it isn't, it's the Bible. The Bible is light and the Bible exposes every crack and crevice of our lives. And, you know, if you want to see where a person's at or a church is at, just watch and listen to what they talk about and what they put the emphasis on. It's the most amazing thing you ever saw in your life. And that's why I tell you all the time, you learn much more by just being quiet and listening than you do talking all the time. But, you know, women have a tough time with that. I don't know what to tell you. I, just, I mean, I'm just kidding you. Believe me, the men do too. You find some churches that their whole emphasis is on education. I've known churches that have went to great lengths to get their, their uh, ability to uh, be connected with a university someplace so they can, they can give the people in their church degrees. I've seen churches where there's so many doctors in the church, you think God was sick. And they, that's where, it's always where it's at. It's education. 
It's all about the answer is, you know, get more education. I have young, I've, I've known young men, uh, too many young men, that went out to pastor a church. And it, maybe it didn't go very well for them, and fundamentally they didn't know what they should, were doing in the first place. But their, their, their answer to their problem of failing as a pastor, you know what it is? Going back to uh, an institution or a school and getting more education. These people think that in churches that education, they, they completely lost sight of the Bible. And it's all about getting education. You know, and I, and I, you know, going to, a, going to a, a Bible college to take a class on building a church, being taught by a man who's never built a church. And if you really are building a church and good at building churches, what are you doing teaching in a Bible college? That's like a one-legged man teaching Olympic running. It has no value to it. But that's the way we're at today. And then you have churches that they're all about money. And many of you, I know this is true, you, you know, you've been in churches where <clears throat> that's all the pastor talks about. You'll get 20 minutes of a sermon and you'll get 25 minutes of why we need your money and all the big projects that we've got going on. And of course, that's, that's where they're at. And then you have Christians. You have Christians that, that all they, all they want to do is study prophecy and future events. That's all they do. They don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything. Oh, but it's Revelation, and it's Daniel, and it's the Tribulation, and how many warts the Antichrist got on his lip, you know, and all these things. And they know absolutely nothing about the Bible. And they get into all these conspiracy things going on. Now, you and I both know that everything on the Internet is true. We already know that. And so you'd be surprised the people that in the emails I get or the phone calls. Somebody will email me and they'll tell me about this great event that's going to take place. Oh, when the blood moons came up. I must have got, I must have got, I must have got 30 calls or emails from people out there. Bob, what do you think about the blood moon? What do you think about the blood moon? And, and, and it gave me a verse. The only verse you have is the verse in Joel chapter 2 which some charismatic got and doesn't know anything about the Bible and then build a hole on it. And the only thing dumber than the guy that's teaching it are the people who are listening to it. Blood moon. Why, you wouldn't know what a blood moon was if I come up and bitch you on the blood moon. <clears throat> I've had people say, well, you know that there's camps all over Missouri that they're building right now to lock Christians up. I think that's a good idea with most Christians that I've met. I'm for it. Crazy stuff. Nothing about the Bible. Then you have people out, Christians out there, that their whole idea is getting spiritual gifts. You know, they have a test now that many churches give that you can determine what your spiritual gifts are. Kind of like your favorite color. And, uh, you know, it's like a guy told me one time, he says, well, do you know your spiritual gifts? And I don't get into that. He says, well, I know mine. I say, he says, I said, what is your spiritual gift? He says, well, I have the gift of humility. I said, you mean you had the gift of humility? <laughs> See, you know, in the Bible, there's two things. There's the, there's the fruit of the Spirit, and then there's the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are the power of God. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God. Here's the problem. Everybody wants the power of God today, but they don't want the character of God today. You know where you get the power of God from in your life? By having the character of God in your life. Not taking some goofy test. But that's exact, you see. That's exact. You find some churches that it's all about music. 
Nothing about the Bible. I mean, every place, the service is built around them. They got a praise band. They got this over here. They got this going on over here. They got over here. They got a 100,000 piece orchestra. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. Except it doesn't take the place of good old fashioned taking the paint off the wall preaching. But see, we're not going to go there. I remember one time years ago, we had a, a guy that they were trying, we were trying to hire to be a music, music director. And so they told me to go pick him up at the airport, him and his wife, and take him out to eat and, and find out if he was what we were looking for. So, you know, I took him out, and him and his wife, and took him out to eat. And he was a nice kid. He really was. But he was the typical mindset. It was all about music. And I remember we were eating lunch, and I was saying, he was telling me about, and I was just listening to him. He was telling me, trying to tell me about all of his experience of where he could write music and he could do this. Well, that's great stuff. But then he said to me, he said, and I about had enough of it, you know, and plus I was done. I wanted to go. I had done eating, had my chocolate cake and coffee. I was ready to hit the road. But anyway, so he says to me, he says, you know what? He says, I, he says, uh, I, I have memorized personally a thousand songs. And I said, wow, that's amazing. And his wife's over there, you know. I said, may I ask you a question? He says, yeah. I says, you memorized a thousand songs. I have. I says, have you memorized a thousand Bible verses? Do you think that he did? He didn't. And he got mad because I asked that. And his wife wasn't going anymore. (laughs) Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it says in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In other words, if whatever you're singing, whatever you're writing, whatever you're doing doesn't go back to the Word of God that's in your heart, you're wasting your time, man. Wasting your time. You see, these are the things that, that, these are the things that people get into. And they're not exact on I go past churches all the time, and I hear it all the time, you know, 9 o'clock worship service. We're having a praise service. And those churches want to want to generate a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. Join us for worship. We're going to have a worship service. You know, I, I am the original wet blanket. But I want to tell you something. If I may be exact for a moment, we can't have a worship service here. Do you know that? I'm sorry. In the Old Testament, yes, they had corporate worship. But you can't have corporate worship in the church. You know why? Because the Bible says in John chapter 4 that when you worship God, it has to be your spirit and God's truth. When you worship God, it's not a service you go to. It's, some, it's a state you live in 24 hours, 7 days a week. And I can't share that with you. You can have yours. I can have mine. But when we get together and we say we're going to have a worship service, you know what it winds up being? Nothing like what real worship is in the Bible. Real worship, defined in the Bible, exact in the Bible, is God's Word, your spirit, joining together, and then you live in a state of worship. They don't even know in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, when Paul's writing to a bunch of messed up Christians, he calls their worship will worship. And they don't even know what it means. Some churches get caught up in social issues. They get all caught up in everything. Every time there's some tragedy in the inner city, 
and a legitimate strategy. I mean, there, there, some of them break my heart. Little kids killed in drive-by shootings or, or this or that or some innocent kid shot and killed or something happens over here. My heart goes out to that. But it never ceases to amaze me how that when some legitimate tragedy takes place, that all the little pastors get together in a little group to decide what we're going to do to cop, stop violence. Let's stop crime in our inner city. And they all come up with the same deal. Let's, let's educate people more. Let's give them more of this. Let's give them more of that. Let's spend more money on this. Let's resolve crime. Now, these are pastors speaking. Now, do you want to know exact? May I be exact with you this morning? You want to know how to stop crime in the inner city? Pastor, get in your pulpit, and the next Sunday you're going to preach on the women in your church. Quit having 100 kids with 100 different fathers. That's where you start. And then you get all of the fathers the next week, and you preach on fathers. Quit having all these kids with all these women, and then letting the kids just run wild all over the place. Bring back the sanctity of the home, the sanctity of marriage, the godliness of what it's all about. I'd start there. And you know what? That don't cost a thing. Except probably your job. You got churches that spend all their time arguing about capital punishment. I was talking to a guy a couple of years ago. I think he might have been on a Thursday night Bible study or someplace. I forget what it was. And he was a Christian as a pastor, and he was against capital punishment. Now, capital punishment, whether your, your opinion on it, it doesn't matter to me. To be exact, it's taught in the Old Testament before the law, during the law, and then after the law. So just to throw that in there is a little exactness. And he says to me, he says, you know what? He says, I don't like capital punishment because I have never seen any proof where capital punishment has ever been a deterrent to crime. And I said to him, so who cares? I never thought capital punishment was given to deter crime. Now, personally, I think it does. But capital punishment in the Bible wasn't given to deter crime. Capital punishment in the Bible was given to kill the murderer. But that's too exact. Somebody says, well, it doesn't do anything and murders go on. Well, you kill enough of them and you're going to run out of murderers sooner or later. (laughs) Now, around here, our emphasis is the Bible. All of it. As Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, the whole counsel of God. All of it. We don't get into those other issues. I don't worry about those things. My deal is to teach you all of the Bible, not some little part of it, but all of it. And just not the parts you like, but the parts you don't like. When it comes to the Bible today, preachers and Christians love the positive things in the Bible, but oh, not the negative things. You see where we're at in Proverbs? You see how ridiculous it would be if I became just a positive preacher and I preached through Proverbs chapter 10, taking out half the verse that's negative and just keep the positive in? But there's people that don't want any negative things. They want it positive. Oh, your preaching is negative. You need to be more positive. I've gotten clobbered all my life for being negative, and I don't understand that. I am the funnest guy on the planet. Hanging out with me is something that you, is a life experience that you'd never forget. I laugh. I have fun. I laugh at myself. I laugh at you. 
I laugh at everything. I take nothing too seriously in life other than the book. I'm the most positive, fun guy you ever can meet in your life. And the rumors that I'm grumpy sometimes are out of the pit of hell. But I'll tell you right now, my mandate, my mandate is to preach all of the Bible. I'm to preach the good, the bad, and yes, some of you are ugly. But that's the job. I'm not your little preacher. I'm God's preacher. And when you say you believe the Bible, then you preach all of the Bible. You don't just preach what makes you popular. You don't preach what this may offend them, so I'm not going to say it. But you don't go out of your way to offend somebody. You just preach the Bible. My favorite character in the Old Testament is Omicaiah. And in back in 1 Kings chapter 22, 14, he gives a quotation. And years ago, I, I brought this Bible. This is not the one I usually preach out of, but this is, I have three of these, and this, is, this has got probably 150 sermons in it that I preached all over the world. This thing has been through the mill several times, and it's got all my sermons in it that I preached over the years and revivals and other countries and wherever I went. And it's always been there, and I preached at it many, many times. And when, when I, I put, I, I, I put the, the quotation from 1 Kings twenty two fourteen on the front of it, Micaiah was a, was a prophet. And Micaiah was not very popular. None of the prophets were popular. And it wasn't the fact that the way they dressed or the, what they ate or what they didn't. It was the fact that they just preached all of the counsel of God to a nation that didn't want to hear it. And one time in your Bible, if you know your Bible at all, you'll know that Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, he kind of lined up with the king of Israel. And they're kind of buddy-buddy, and, and uh, they, they both don't like Micaiah. And so they're thinking about doing some things, so they call in 400 prophets. 400 prophets, and they say, here's what we're going to do. Tell us, is God going to bless us in this? And every one of those stinking prophets said, God be with you. He's on your side. The king of Israel was happy as could be, but old Jehoshaphat wasn't sure. And he says to the king of Israel, is there not one other prophet around here that we might ask and inquire of him? And one of the greatest statements in the Bible, the king of Israel said, yeah, there's one, and it's, his name is Micaiah, but I hate him. Right, Why do you hate him? Because he prophesied no good thing concerning me. He was negative. He was negative. Oh, Micaiah said in 1 Kings chapter 22, 14, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. And years ago when I was a young man going out, I didn't want to be intimidated by the crowd. I didn't want to be intimidated by what to say and what not to say. So I thought, stupid as it probably was, I had that verse imposed on the front of my Bible that every time I preached, the last thing I saw was what old Micaiah said to the king of Israel. As the Lord liveth, brother, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. I don't care if it's negative or positive, or you like it, you don't like it. If it's the truth, that's all that matters to me. Won't go out of my way to be mean and nasty, but I, it's the truth. Now, that's vital for you and I to see. Maybe it's not important to the latest in Christian or the, or the church today, but for us who claim to love and believe the Bible, it's poor, important. Jeremiah, 
preached the truth and got put down in a dung pit up to his elbow, up to his armpits. Ezekiel, Joel, all of the prophets, they were hated by the nation of Israel who were God's people because they came with the negative truth of where the nation of Israel was. And let's be honest, people don't want to hear it today. They don't want to hear it. Now, this is really important to see because when you limit yourself with the Bible on the inside and you don't get all that God has for you, the good and the bad, you don't take the good and and, and use it and the bad and also use it, when you limit yourself to what you're going to allow to come into your life, then you're going to be living in what comes out of your mouth based on what's in your heart. And you're going to become what is so prevalent today as a shallow Christianity. Proverbs 16, 23 says, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and added learning to his lips. What you put in your heart with God will teach you what to say. Proverbs 16, 1 says, The preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue out of the mouth is from the Lord. You prepare your heart as to what God will give you to say. And Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous study at the answer. Get biblical principles, and then you speak through them. You see, when you limit yourself to just the things you like in the Bible, then you're going to come up short every time. Now, let's take it just a little bit farther. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. Note it, the word well, well of life. Now, I'd say this is the simple biggest issue or the single biggest issue with Christians and Christianity and churches today is simply that there's no depth to them. Christians limiting limiting themselves to what they get out of the Bible, not wanting to go past a certain threshold when it comes to the Scriptures, wanting to stay on the surface, get all the cream off the top and never go down deep and get the things that really matter. Notice the word well here. A well will go down deep. Some wells go down 100 feet. And a well, the reason why the water stays fresh and the water continually is there, and in most cases the well doesn't go dry, is because there's a fresh water source deep under the surface that you've tapped into that keeps that well fresh with fresh water, a supply of water that keeps the well uh, with all the fresh water that you can drink. And your well will never go dry. As long as that main source stays right, it'll never go dry because of its depth going down to the main source of the water. You can take that and apply it to your life and my life in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, where it talks about the deep things of God, the deep things of the Bible. Because it's the same way with you and me. You get your well dug deep. Let me tell you something else. 40 years, some of you young kids, 40 years of continually digging that well will provide you with a deep well of water. And again, I understand it. I get it. Most of God's people don't want to do that. It's just too much work. And I'll tell you, I can't imagine digging a well, a real well. I mean, they dig them all the time through the Old Testament in the Bible, at Jacob's well. I mean, all kinds of well. And it's, a, it's probably got to be the hardest job because you've got to dig straight down 60, 70, 80 feet. And the circumference is, is not real big. And then you've got to figure out a way to get all of, the, all of the debris and all of the rocks out of the hole. And the deeper you get, the harder it is. But you've got to keep digging that thing down. You've got rocks. You've got debris. You've got all kinds of stuff. 
And then you're not done because to keep the water, once you hit that main source, to keep the water from evaporating out and going through the ground, then you've got to line that well with stone or block or brick or something to keep the water in. Now, that's a picture of what your spiritual life and my spiritual life should be. You're well diggers. You're digging a well. Some of you just started the digging. Some of you have been doing it three or four years. Some of you have been doing it longer than that. You're digging a well. The deeper you go, you're going to hit that source of water. And then you use the doctrines that you have, the building blocks that we get here, that you line the sides of your well that the water that you get never goes out. Now, I'll be honest now. This is what makes most of you unique. Eve's mad she's leaving, but I understand. The rest of you are staying. This is what makes most of you absolutely unique here. And I'll be honest with you, it's hard to find so many of your kind of people uh, in, in any one place. Uh, it really is. I, 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 I get it. I stand amazed sometimes. Most of you want that kind of depth in the Bible. And in time, you will get it too. You've got to just keep digging your well. You'll hit the main source sooner or later. I get calls and emails and all kinds of stuff on a weekly basis about our website. Sean was telling me about a pastor that he met that he gave the website to, and the guy emailed him back and wanted a wide-margin Bible based on, you know, it, 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 what God is doing with that is absolutely uncrowded. And I never speak about it. I never say anything about it. But it's absolutely the greatest secondary ministry. There are people around this country who have no churches that they hang on to that website every, every, every time, every day, and everything that they do. Now, I want to tell you something. I've not said this to you before. Next weekend, a boy got on our website a couple of years ago, and um, he's a good kid. I've never met him, but I've talked with him on the phone many, many times. He's followed our website for many, many, for a long time. His name is Craig Hansen, and he lives all the way out in the state of Oregon. And Craig Hansen been on the phone back and forth, and uh, through his own just conviction of where he's at and, and what he's not getting, um, Craig Hansen has already told me that, that his wife has just have a brand new baby. She just had it about two, what, two months ago. And uh, he's already made up his mind. His wife is all for it, that they're picking up their whole family and moving to Kansas City to come part of Old Paz Baptist Church. He's coming to Kansas City next weekend, flying in. I told him, you come out and look at it before you... Uh, make any final deal, but I think he's already in it because he's already sending his tithe here and he's not even here yet. He's coming in Thursday, going to be here for a Bible study Thursday night. I want as many of you to get to know him uh, as, as humanly possible. He, I told him to come on a week where everything is cooking, that he can be part of everything. He's going to be at Bible study Thursday night. He's already got two places for jobs. He's going to go get interviews on Friday and want to take him around there. Friday night, we're going to go to Jason's Deli uh, there in Raytown where we always go and everybody meet at 6 o'clock that can come and we'll have dinner with him and get to know him and talk with him again. Wonderful kid. Loves the Word of God. He's going to be in a people ministry on Saturday morning and then he's going to be in church Sunday morning, go to restart, and he's going to fly out on, on Monday morning. But I'm telling you. And then he's got another buddy who lives on the other side of Oregon who already talked to Gary Potter, he wants to move down and come to this church. I was at the Mammoth 
preaching in Illinois a couple of weeks ago. Barb and Lauren, who many of you know, uh, have been down on a weekly or on a, like a monthly basis through the summer. They came over for the services and brought their kids over. Just incredible kids. He told me, he said, I've already turned in my notice at work. They're moving down to become part of Old Pass Baptist Church. We got little Rebecca over here that was in Minneapolis someplace up there, and she got on the website and found it. She moved down lock, stock, and barrel to come to this church. Now, now do you know why they're doing that? It certainly isn't because of me, and it certainly is it's for one thing. There's water here. Amen. There's water here. Amen. And they want to dig a well. They want to dig a well. They want what you got and what you get all the time so desperately and so bad that they're willing to leave it all, quit their jobs, root their families up, pack up in a moving van, drive 1,600 miles to get to a place where they can dig a deep well based on the Word of God. And some of God's people in this church won't drive five minutes away to come to church on Sunday morning. See the difference? So you have a righteous man who out of his mouth flows the Bible, living waters, or you have a wicked man who, saved or lost, never talks about the Bible, just all the things of the world. And yet he has built around him the illusion that he's doing what God wants him to do, or her, when in reality it's never about the light of God's Word. It's about the spiritual things, not the biblical things. Now, here's our second two principles. This will be number three and four. Now, our next verse is in 10, 12. Hatred stirreth up, uh, hatred stirreth up strife. That's negative. But love covereth all sin. That's positive. See? I can just cut out the negative and we just talk about the positive things. But then all of the negative people would get short chains, and I don't want to do that. Now, this verse also will show the inner workings of man based on what he does with the Bible. You know, in the NFL, I guess they have it in baseball too. I hear a lot of terms, and I don't know what they mean, but they sound really neat. And so I throw them out and use them like people think I know what I'm talking about when it comes. But, but I, you, you, you look up on the computer, you can find anything you want. And I hear, I hear talking in the football about they have what they call a depth chart. And a depth chart will show you at each position how many people you got that can play that position and play it well. And in the success of a team, or at least the, uh, in, in the mindset of the coach, the potential of a team the, will be based on that depth chart. If you got at all positions three or four guys that can cover it and all cover it just the same way very well, that's a depth chart. And they will use that to judge where their team is at. Well, it's the same thing that you use with churches. Because in every church, you've got ministries and positions. And the more people you have that are trained to do each one of those, if somebody doesn't show up or somebody can't do this, somebody else steps in, that's depth chart. I I think about, I wasn't here that Sunday, but I certainly heard about it right after it happened. Uh, It was a thing where a couple of weeks ago, I didn't even know where I was. Uh, But it was a deal where... Cappy was gone out of town someplace, and uh, Danny was up here leading a sing in Alcapaco, Alcapoco, and uh, without any music, and old Chris back there jumped out of that thing, went up and got on the pant. That death chart, you see. Amen. And he said afterward, I saw the need, someone needed to do the need, so I filled the need. That's the death chart. This church has a death chart that is unbelievable with people who can step in and do the job and do what needs to be done. That's the key. 
That's the key. In anything in life, again, you've got two kinds of people. You've got those, when it comes to this verse, uh, hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. You're going to have people who, two kinds, they're going to solve problems and other people who are going to cause problems and keep them going. Now we've learned from verse 12 a definition that strife in a person's life will come from hatred. That's key. Not necessarily hating somebody, but certainly hating the principles of the Word of God and not following through with them. Ah, somebody will say, well, I don't hate the Bible, I just don't do it. There's that twilight zone you're living in. He that is not with me is against me. You see, they're at odds with God, and it manifests itself in the form of, in the form of strife. See how simple that is? You can't be of God and cause strife because the character quality of Christ is not strife, it's peace. And when you see that, it takes care of itself. But love covereth all sin. No, that's positive. See the child of God on the depth chart who has depth to him, deep waters to draw from? He sees his job as a problem solver, not as a problem causer. He fixes things. He doesn't break them. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, A tale bear reveal his secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit conceals them out. You see, the one person tells everybody they can find. The other person tells God about it, conceals the matter, because he's of a faithful spirit. Now, a man of understanding, he sees something negative, and he understands that he alone has the power and the ability through his wisdom and understanding, to put an end to it. Because he himself will not be part of something negative. He'll automatically use the principles of the Word of God to help work it out or at least shut it down. And doing nothing, which is where most Christians are, doing nothing. I've seen people that, I've seen people that they didn't like what somebody was doing or didn't like what somebody was spreading or they didn't like with this and they didn't like it, but they didn't have the courage to say something about it. And I want to tell you something, doing nothing will always allow it to do its damage. And it isn't damage to the person. You're not, you're not looking at it on a big enough scale. It isn't what you say about the person next to you or me or somebody else that you don't like. That is not really what gets hurt. What gets hurt is the cause of Christ gets hurt. That's the damage that's done. That's where it gets really, it becomes a problem. My mama used to say, silence is consent. Edmund Burke was an unsaved British philosopher, but he wrote a lot of key things that are true. And one of the things that he said is that evil triumphs when good men do nothing. You see, love, real biblical love, covers all sins. That word sins is plural. <laughs> not just the ones that you're willing to forgive and you keep other ones that you're not willing to forgive. Say, well, I'll forgive you for this, but you did this to me over here and I ain't going to forgive you for it. That's not biblical love. The Bible says that, that love covereth all sin. It's all sin. There's not big sins or little sins, but we like to think there are. It's not, well, I just told a little white lie. Your little white lie is black as the side of the bottomless pit. There's no big lies and little lies. It's all sin. And I'm not saying that it's necessary to love the person you forgive. Some people are hard to love. <coughs> Some people <coughs> may even go so far to say that they're unlovable. But you've got to love them through Christ. 
but rather love for the work of God when you see that. The cause of Christ. That's what takes the hit. When we don't do right or we don't shut negative things down when we have the opportunity, it isn't the person who gets their feelings hurt. It isn't the person who gets their their spirit broken. That's bad enough. But what the real problem is is that the cause of Christ takes the hit. And that's unfathomable. Now principles 5 and 6. Move down here to verse 13. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. But, here comes the negative, a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. You see how much nicer it would be if I just cut out that second part? I could go on all day long about the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. Oh, I could teach some flowery things on that. I'd get my own big Hawaiian shirt and wear it with all the flowers on it. I talk about the birds and the, and the sunshine and how nice it is and all those things. But boy, when you get to the last part of that verse, a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. That's negative. But you know it's true. And you know that's a great principle. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. Now what we have here in verse 13 is, if you ain't seen it already, is a contrast. A definite contrast between these two types of men. And we know that contrast in the Bible are one of the key ways that God teaches us. And if you've been around any length of time at all in life, you see this simple contrast all the time. The lips of him that hath understanding. Now this will be what we've talked about so far in the book of Proverbs. And if you remember, I've tried to keep you up with the things that you want to glean out of the book of Proverbs. I don't expect you to memorize it all or to get it all. But there are certain things that I think if you glean out of them, uh, it'll really help you. And when he's talking about the lips of him that hath understanding, he's basically talking about the four things that we've just pounded in you all the way through here. One, getting to the place in your life where you can speak the spiritual issues with absolute authority, knowing your Bible, being exact. That's vital. My goal for every one of you, and it won't happen for all of you, but as you keep digging your well, my goal for you is to get to the place in your life that you can speak to any spiritual issue and know what you're talking about. Know what the Bible says about it. You don't have to say, well, I think it means this, or I think it says this. You know where it's at because you have an exactness with the Scriptures. Two, seeing any issue, I don't care what it is, seeing any issue from the Bible perspective through the biblical principles, not through an emotional state of mind. And boy, you see that all the time. Emotions are a terrible thing, or emotions can be a good thing. It's a good thing to have the emotion of love for your kids, for your husband, for your wife, and for your friends. But it's a terrible thing to have emotions that run you all over the place and just rip you up one side and down the other because you're so emotional about stuff. And that's that's absolutely a a hard thing to deal with in life. And when you get get to see the issues that people go through or you're going through from the biblical perspective, from the biblical principles, then it takes out the emotions. The biblical principles tell you when to spend emotions here, don't spend them here. It's like a budget of your emotions. I've only got so many emotions. I'm going to spend them all on this that means nothing, or I'm not going to spend it there. I'm going to follow the principles, and I'll spend them here. Third thing, 
being able to use biblical principles to one, see the problem, two, define the problem, three, correct the problem, four, keep it fixed. That's vital. Now you become valuable when you can have these three things in your life. And then there's the fourth one. Treating the real issues, not the symptoms. Most of the things you see that people are going through, that they say they're going through, that they say they're struggling with, are not really the problem. It's just a symptom of a bigger problem that's down inside. So many times we waste so much time treating the symptoms, and we wonder why the person never gets better. He never gets better because you never fix people's problem by treating their symptoms. You only fix their problem by getting to the problem. And then when you get to the problem, you find out if they really want to fix it or not. Everybody wants their symptoms treated. I mean, when you're sick and you've got a fever of 102 and you're not feeling very well at all, who doesn't like your mom or your husband or your wife with a cold compress wiping your forehead, looking with compassion in your eyes, wringing it out, wiping your brow, feeling the fever, touching you, saying, oh, keep rhyming it down. You like that. That's treating the symptom. But that doesn't make anything go away. But boy, when you get that medicine in that thing that when you drink it down, it tastes like the elixir of, of camel something. You know, you know what? You know that that's not very good. But that'll solve the problem. The medicine that is good for us. Did you ever take a Tylenol and chew it up? I think some of you have. Did you ever take a penicillin tablet and chew it up? You can put all the barbecue sauce on it you want. It won't fix a thing. We swaddle those things because they taste so bad. And it's true in life when it comes to the Bible. When you got a problem, what has to fix it sometimes doesn't taste very good. But it's the only way to fix it. The only way to fix it. And you learn how to identify the symptom versus the problem. Now, the fool. Here's the negative. Sorry. The fool. A rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. The fool void of understanding will always fail to see why he's going through what he's going through. I've seen it all my life. For an unsaved man, uh, life will be an empty shell that beats you senseless. It'll beat you to death, and in time it'll break your back and leave you on the rocks. Just that simple. For a saved man, it's a little different scenario. For a saved man who, who is void of understanding and gets the rod to his back, now, the verse we want here is Job chapter 9, verse 4, which is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible as I apply it to myself, to never forget, because it simply, simply says, who hath hardened himself against him and prospered? And the answer to that question is nobody. You see, this is where it comes in. People want to live in the twilight zone. They put out the facade that, oh, I love God, I love this, I just don't want to get into the Bible, I don't want to study this, I don't want to do that. Oh, I love God, and that's that twilight zone. And when they they don't do what's right with the principles in their own life or the principles in their family or whatever the case may be, they go through this great facade that, oh, I'm with God, I love God, and everything around them is falling down and they're losing everything in their life that God says they could keep. And they never understand why. Because who hath hardened himself against him and prospered? And the answer is nobody. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding from the Bible and the book of Proverbs, they not only give you what you need to know to work with other people when they struggle, 
But let me tell you something, my friend. They'll give you what you need to know about yourself and your honesty and open relationship with God. But you see, a fool is void of these things. So he just keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. I've seen it a thousand times in my life. He'll continue to change churches. He'll continue to blame other people. He'll continue to say, well, I just got bad luck, you know, and boy, nothing goes right for me. He'll continue to change jobs. In extreme cases, they'll change husbands and wives. If he's single, he'll change relationships. They can't be happy and have any fulfillment in anything they do. They'll buy a new car, and all they're happy for about six, seven, eight weeks till the new car smell is gone, and the first rock hits your windshield, and there goes the crack. They'll buy a new home, and they'll be happy walking around in it for six months, and then one cloudy day, that new house will look just as dreary as your life always was. They'll find a new relationship, a new guy or a new gal. Oh, I found the love of my life. And about a week later, it's not who you thought it was. They'll find a new church. Oh, negative. I'm going to a new one. And then six months later, they don't go to that one anymore than they went to the last one. You see, changing geographical locations never solve our problems. They'll do everything except what they need to do. They'll change everything. They'll change their friends. They'll change their church. They'll change their relationship. They'll change where it was husband. They'll change their wife. They'll change their job. They will change everything in the world but what they need to change, and that is themselves. And they'll never change who they are. And I want to tell you something. You can sit down and talk to them till you're blue in the face, and you'll never get through. You know why? Because they're void of understanding. They're void of understanding. Where the man of understanding will profit and learn from his mistakes through the principles of the Word of God, the man void of understanding will never learn a thing. I've seen them be in church all their lives and never learn one single truth about themselves. You know, coming to church, getting into the Bible, and I, and I encourage you to do it, and I, I told you earlier on, we're all about the Bible here. But I, you need to know, fundamentally, <clears throat> learning the Bible, you can learn all the things you want to learn, and you can take all the classes you want to take about how to deal with everybody's problems on the planet. But bottom line, end of the day, let me tell you something. That Bible, first and foremost, is there to expose the fallacies of you and me. Amen. That's where you've got to start. Amen. And if you're not honest with that, you won't be honest with anything else. I've seen them struggle all their lives not being happy, not being fulfilled, not being complete. Nothing they do will give them the lasting joy or peace that eludes them at every turn of their life. And here it comes, more negativity. As they get older, they're 40, they're 50, they're 60 now. Their problems haven't gone away. Their problems have only gotten worse because you know as well as I do, the longer something goes, it doesn't get fixed. And then a car that never, ever burned oil that ever fixed its rings, you got to do it. There ain't a leaky roof on any house that the house decided one day, I'm not going to leak anymore. You got to fix it. 
There isn't anything in this world that goes south that's going to go north by itself. You've got to intervene and fix it. And the longer you let problems go in your life and the longer you don't deal with issues biblically and get exact with them, it comes to a point where here it comes. Now they not only struggle with their own issues, but now it gets very complicated and very compounded because now the kids, their own children, now manifest their same problems that the parents have and it only compounds the issue. Now they not only struggle with their own issues, but now the kids just pile on them, all top of them, all of their issues, and it becomes overwhelming. They have never learned the principle that the decisions as parents you make in life today will have an effect on your family for generations to come. They've never learned a great principle as parents. You'll either be stepping stones for your children in life or you'll be stumbling stones for your children in life. Only two ways to go. And in time, you know where it winds up. In time, it turns into medical issues. Oh, yeah, health problems, emotional and physical. You bet it does. Better study your Bible a little bit. And let me tell you something, when it goes that way, there's not a doctor, there's not a pill, there's not a prescription on this planet that can fix this problem. So they'll put you on Prozac or Valium or some antidepressant and they'll just numb you up in your brain so you don't think about it. Because it's a problem of, 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 of living your life void of understanding. And bless their heart, they'll just simply never get it. They'll go through their whole life just going through one more bad problem than the other. And you can sit down with them. They can hear every sermon I preach. They can get on the website and get everything they want. And they'll never change a thing because they're fundamentally void of understanding. Now, I want to leave you with a great principle. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It's a great verse and a principle on many levels. It says there in that great verse that godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, people quote that verse all the time. I quote it all the time, and people give it out all the time. But let's be a little more exact with it this morning. What it's saying is this. There'll be no contentment with God till there's a godliness with God. Godliness has to come first in your life before the contentment comes. You have to have the principles of God in your life and they produce the contentment of God in your life because you now always know in any situation what you're dealing with and there lies the contentment. Now, I, I, I don't know how you are. This is how I am. I don't like surprises. I never have. I don't like surprises in life. I like to know what I'm getting for my birthday. I like to know what I'm getting before Christmas gets here. So email me this week. I don't like surprises. I never have. And I don't know why that is, but I just don't. But I know this. In life, I really don't like the surprises. And that's what the Bible does for you. That's what the understanding, the wisdom, and the knowledge of the Word of God through the principles does for you. And there's where the contentment is. 
You never get surprised because any given situation, you always go to the book and now you know exactly what you've got, exactly what you're dealing with, and exactly how to handle it. The well of water in our life that keeps life fresh and keeps our lives from getting stagnant. Every day, kids, dig in that well a little deeper. Every day, mom and dad, lining the sides of your well with the doctrine that God gives you. Every day, letting God transform you into the wise man of Proverbs, whose mouth is a well of life, a deep well, whose love for God and his work cover all the negative things that comes his way. And thirdly, and within his lips, is found wisdom and understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus and for how great the book of Proverbs is. And we love you today, Lord, and these are good people.